by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How many knows that the Apostle Peter got out of the boat twice? We all remember when he was following Jesus and he was, he was so excited to be walking with Jesus. He was sucking up everything Jesus said. He was excited about the things of God, you know. And uh, they were in that boat, and they were going across to the other side, and the wind and the waves came. The storm was brewing and, and hitting them, and, and they were afraid for their lives. And, you know, fear can come in in your life, you know. Even when you're excited about the things of God, there's still external forces just putting pressure on you, trying to, trying to, to rob you of your joy. And trying to get your eyes off of Jesus. And so Peter was going through that in the boat. But then they said, look, it's Jesus, you know. And what did Peter say? Man full of faith, he says, if it's you, Jesus, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. So Peter climbed out of the boat. And he walked on the water. And the only person I've ever known that walked on the water was Jesus and Peter. I've never seen anybody do it. I've seen people have some stuff under the water, you know, make it look like they're walking on the water. I've seen them in the show, The Chosen, you know, they got, some, they got it making it look like he's walking on the water. But in reality, only two people I know of ever walked on water, the Lord Jesus and somebody who trusted the Lord Jesus and kept his eyes on him. So Peter did a good thing. But do you know Jesus got out of a boat a second time? This was much later in the story when Jesus, full of bluster and, and sure, just sure his faith was strong, told Jesus, I'll never leave you. If they all run away, I won't. I'll die for you, Jesus. And then before the night was over, he denied him three times. That can sneak up on you, can't it? We can look at Peter and say, oh, man, he got his eyes off Jesus and he sank. But Jesus, Peter walked on the water. And we can look at Peter and say, man, Peter denied Christ. I would never do that. But that's what Peter said before he did it. And that's what we may say today, but we all know we've denied Christ in a thousand little ways in our walk. Which one of us hadn't had a day where we wake up and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm following you today. And by the end of the day, you say, what have I done? What ha who hijacked this day from me? You know? Where did, where did my focus go? I got my eyes off of Jesus today. Now I got a lot of apologizing to do, right? And so we know we've all denied Christ. And so Peter was just so down. He's thinking to himself, you know, I'm glad Jesus is resurrected. And I'm glad all these other guys get to go to heaven, but not me. <laughs> you know, he's thinking, he don't know. He's thinking it's over with. He has denied the Lord three times. Jesus told him it was going to happen. He said, no, it ain't going to happen, but it did happen. And so now Peter thinks, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll go a fishing. <laughs> and he gets back in a boat in an attempt, I guess, just to go back to it. The only thing he knows apart from Jesus is fishing. I'm just going to go fishing. And he gets out of there, and you know, and, 
you know the story. Jesus comes walking along the shore, and he tells them, tells them to throw their net out on the other side, and they catch a big haul of fish. And, and Peter's probably saying, who is this guy? That, I'm having deja vu all over again. It, this reminds me of another time our, our nets were full. And John said, it's the Lord. And guess what Peter did? He got out of the boat again. <laughs> he got out of the boat again. He didn't wait to row to shore. All he could think about is, I got to get to Jesus. He swam. He beat the other ones there, and they were in the boat. He swam to Jesus. And can you imagine the way Peter must have been feeling? Man, this fishing, this old fishing ain't for me, man. I, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a fisher of men. Jesus showed me a new way. I can't go back to that old way of, of, of life. That's not me anymore. There's nothing to go back to. He said, I got to get back right with Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. And that just must be all of our hearts. We've got to get back to Jesus. If you're going to make it to the end, if you're going to endure, you got to stay with Jesus. You can't get frustrated at yourself. Say, man, I've messed up. I might as well go back to my old way of life. No, 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 no. You keep running to Jesus. You keep swimming to Jesus. You keep getting out of the boat that this devil tries to make us stay in, and you keep getting to Jesus. He's the key to your endurance. That's who you walk with. That's what this journey is about. It's about getting to him in the end, but it's like walking with him on the way. It's his rod and his staff that comfort us. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. What about old John? John considered himself the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, he, he, had to, he figured that Jesus loved him more than anybody else. Anybody in here feel that way? Jesus has been so good to you, you just know, man, I, I know he loves me more than he loves them. I mean, that's the only, t only time we had fist fights in the church is when somebody said that I'm his favorite, you know. Yeah, he, he's, he's, been, he's been good to you, John. You got a T-shirt? Yeah. So we can all agree we all feel like his favorite, although I think he loves us all the same. But we all, that's how special Jesus' love is. I mean, that's how good he is to us. And, and the apostle John, in his writings, he considered himself the one that Jesus loved. You can imagine what must have been going through his head Later in life, you know, this is long after Jesus was resurrected and went back to heaven, and he's had a ministry and helped lead the church and all this, but as an old man, he's arrested for preaching the good news and exiled to the island of Patmos. And you're thinking, uh, Jesus, I'm the one you love, remember? <laughs> this wasn't the way I saw my life finishing up. You know, you're sending me to Alcatraz here. This is basically torture. This is punishment. This is exile. This is where they send people that they don't want to see ever again. Let you die slowly, you know, in a rock quarry, hammering rocks and stuff. And John must have been thinking, this ain't the way I saw it turning out. Maybe you're in that place. 
I think as we get older, we all realize that we feel like Jesus' is favorite, but over time, we have to face the same things that other people face. We, we think, well, good night. I've served Jesus faithfully my whole life, and this is my reward? I, I get exiled to an island of Patmos? But you know what? It was on the island of Patmos that John got closer to Jesus than he had ever been before. It was on the island of Patmos that Jesus took him up to the third heaven and he saw things that it wasn't even lawful for him to tell us about. He was taken up into the presence of God, into heaven itself, the third heaven. It was on the Isle of Patmos that the revelation of the future that we enjoy today in the book of Revelations was given to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. So I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whether you're in the fire or in the flood, you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's going to get you to the finish line. You're going to get there. Don't get disappointed in this life. This life is but a breath, a moment. It can be snatched from you or it can be everything that you think that was yours can be taken away. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord because all things are going to be made right in the end. All things are going to be made new. I just want to encourage you today. That no matter what you're going through, you don't give up on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. You know, my brother, he, uh, he died four years back of non-smoker's lung cancer. And he had a, like a seven-year journey with cancer. He had parts of his body removed. He had brain surgery and lung and things. And it was very, very difficult period of his life. And he had faith, and he was strong in the Lord, you know, and he believed God for healing, and for a while, he was totally in remission and healed, and we rejoiced, and we thought, yes, God is good, you know. And then we were playing golf one day, and his motor skills left him. He was like, I might need to go back to the doctor and see what's going on. And he'd come back with a vengeance. But God was still good. God was still good. And I remember as his body began to deteriorate and he began to suffer pain and he never lost his joy. He would always say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And he was confident. A couple of weeks before he died, well, a couple of months before he died, he got to where he couldn't walk anymore. He was my size. He was a strong man, stronger than me. And I would have to carry him like a baby and put him in his wheelchair and carry him and put him 
And one day I carried him and put him in the, in the truck. And he didn't feel like going. I know he didn't, but he didn't say a word. He, he was over there squirming in his seat a little bit, you know. And, but he didn't say a word. And we went on a little trip of remembrance. We went to our high school, the place we lived when, when he was a kid. And we just went to all our old hangouts. And we just, you remember when we did this? And we just talked and, and enjoyed I guess was our last hurrah together, you know. He wanted to spend this time with me, and I was honored that he did. And then when I could tell he was squirming a little bit too much pain, he wanted to just get back home. We stopped up right across the street there at Arby's and got lunch. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in the parking lot. And I was all wound up about the church and this or that, and he knew some things that were going on at the church. He's asking me about, the, about you guys. He's asking me about the church, and he's, he's asking me all the questions. Now, you've got to understand, here's a man that's about to enter the great unknown. You know, he, could, he had every right to say, don't you care how I feel? Don't you know this? That, that, I'm feeling like this and this, and he, he could have just expressed himself in a totally different regard, but he didn't. He asked me about you. He asked me about me. He asked he said, how are you doing with this? Can you imagine the man dying is asking me how I'm doing with him dying? Are you okay? Because I'm good. I know who holds the future. You know, they say that in heaven there'll be streets of gold. It'll be so pure that it's translucent. You say in heaven that there'll be a, a wall around the city. It'll be, I think they said, 200 feet wide, and it'll be encrusted with precious jewels, different levels of different jewels. There'll, there'll be no need for, for lights in the city because the Lord of glory will be there, and his glory will be the light of the world. In the new Jerusalem, in heaven, there'll be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, no more cancer. There'll be no more sadness. And Jesus will be there. And that's what was my brother's hope. That's what gave him confidence to face death. It's not the walls or the streets, it's not the brick or the mortar. It's that Jesus is going to be there. He knows who holds the future. It ain't about what is in the future. It ain't about where is the future. It's who is my future. And that's what made him so strong that he could face death with such courage. Concerned about me. <laughs> We think about the Israelites being in the, in the wilderness 40 years. You see, they had, it was only an 11-day journey to the promised land, but they couldn't cross the Jordan because they kept mumbling and complaining. God had told them that I prepared a place for you, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey or no less. It's going to be a beautiful place. But a place wasn't enough to get them to straighten up and walk by faith. Oh, sure, they could have climbed the mountain with Moses, 
But they didn't. They could have climbed the mountain to worship God. Then they would have straightened up. It, it was, it's in the person, you understand. And I want to encourage you today that since Jesus Christ has come, the, the curtain in the temple has been rent from top to bottom, and now we can come boldly before the throne of God in our time of need. We can all climb the mountain of God. We can grab hold of his sandals, the tassels on the bottom of his robe. We can love on Jesus anytime we want to. That is what brings us into the promised land. It's a person. You say, I want to know the way. Exactly. He is the way. But I got to have the truth. Well, he is the truth. But if I just had more life, he is your life. Christianity is not a way of thinking. It's a relationship with life himself. In Psalms 84, verse 10, the psalmist says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in a house of my God than living the good life in the homes of the wicked. He said, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O oh, Lord of heaven's armies. Who is the Lord of heaven's armies? Jesus. What joy for those who trust in you. There it is, the joy. Where does the joy come from? The presence of God. The things we've been talking about that's going to fuel your endurance, the joy and the rejoice, comes from the presence of God itself. In His presence is fullness of joy. I think why so many Christians, myself included at times, are just barely hanging on and barely getting by. Oh, in the sweet by and by we'll be all right, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm making it to today, through today. We have lost sight of Jesus. We got to rekindle, ignite that fire that was once ours, the joy of our salvation, when Jesus meant everything. When a, when a moment in his presence was enough, but we, we couldn't get enough. That we had to run to, to we had to shut out the distractions. We had to get alone with God. We had to spend time with him. But the cares of this life. You remember Jesus talking about the seed that was sown? And the third seed on the third ground was the cares of this life. The, the worry about getting riches and the things that you have to do down here. They slowly pull us away. They make us like Martha, Martha. When Jesus has said, no, no, be like Mary, Mary. Mary sat at my feet. She knows what's the most important thing in the world. Don't be a Martha, Martha. I mean, even doing good things, Martha was doing good things. She was taking care of the house. She was preparing a meal and all that. 
There's a time for us to do good things, but not at the expense of that time that we're supposed to be at his feet. There's a good, there's a better, and there's a bestesses. <laughs> the bestest store. Jesus is the bestest store of the bestesses. Okay? And he's the how and the why of our endurance. I wrote down just a few things. Sometimes I don't like to overthink things. Can you imagine that? That's only sometimes. But sometimes I like to write what's coming out of my heart down and say, okay, I'm not going to tinker with it. I'm leaving it, and I'm going to share it with the people. I believe that's the way you gave it to me. I'm not going to correct it. And these are some things that I wrote that Jesus means to me. Jesus is my refuge. He's where I can run when I don't feel safe, when the world is closing in on me. Jesus is my light and my salvation. Jesus is my hiding place. Jesus is my Sabbath rest. Jesus is joy unspeakable and the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus is my creator. Jesus is my redeemer. When I fell along with all the rest of creation, he, he didn't give up on me. He chased me down and he redeemed me with his own blood. And he is the sustainer of my life. This breath that I have to say this next sentence with came from Lord Jesus Christ. That beating in your heart that you can't explain how it got there and why it keeps going. It's because of him. The word of his power. He is the creator of all things. All things are sustained by him. He is the captain of my salvation. He is wonderful. <laughs> Somebody say he's wonderful. wonderful. He's a counselor. He's a mighty God. He's awesome. Words can't describe how good Jesus is, how good he's been to me, and the promises that he has made me that I know he will keep because like Chris, Kirsty said, he will watch over his word to perform it. He takes his word serious. If you see the promises in the word of God, you can hold on to it. You can speak it out of your mouth because his words out of your mouth have power. There's, word, there's life in the word of God and he is the word of God. Amen. He's the lover of my soul. And I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I look at Angie and say, well, how can you love me? Because she's the, the person in this world that knows my soul better than anybody. And I'm amazed that she loves me. But Jesus knows my innermost thoughts and loves me. He knows everything about me, my past that I haven't shared with anybody. The things that I will never utter. He knows. And he is the lover of my soul. If he ain't left me yet, he's not going anywhere, it appears. <laughs> he is the, also the perfecter of my faith. He is working with me so I don't stay that old man. He's the rock on which I stand. He's my good shepherd leading me by the still waters and leading me to green pastures. He's anointing my head with oil. He is the bread of life. 
He sustains me. He is the fountain of living water that quenches the thirst of my soul. Look, I've lived long enough to know that when you're by yourself, your desire, your soul is looking for something. You talk to God and you're just desperate. God, I, you're going to have to do something. I, I put on a good face in front of the, the church crowd or in front of my family or whatever, but I'm desperate here. God, I got to have you. And he is the living water that will quench that thirst. He said they who thirst and hunger will be filled. If you hunger after righteousness, you thirst for he is righteous. He's my, he's my righteousness. I have no righteousness apart from him. When it says lift up holy hands to the Lord, I can't lift these hands up, but they've been made holy by Jesus, so I can. That's the only reason I can lift up holy hands. Because I'm not holy apart from him. He's my very best friend. And he never leaves. And he never will. You know, Paul was preaching in Athens. It's a pagan city, and they were a bunch of idolaters, and they, they had so many gods, they couldn't keep up with them all. They had idols all strewn along the way, and Paul was looking at them and reading the names on them, and he was getting confused. And so he began to preach on them. He said, let me tell you about a god that the, un the unnamed God, the one you hadn't wrote about. Let me tell you about the real God. And he said in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, he said, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Our God's not just a God. He's not the God of the sun or the God of the moon or the God of the finances. He is the God of all creation. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. You have a need? Where do you turn first? To the medicine cabinet? To a friend, those are good things. But ultimately, he is the one who satisfies our every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determines their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. And perhaps... Fill their way towards him and find him. It says perhaps because he knows the nature of man that many won't. But that's his desire that perhaps we would fill our way towards him and find him. Though he's not far from any of us, he's right there. For in him we live and move and exist. King James says have our being. Your very being. Is found in Christ. It's in Him you live. It's in Him that you're able to move through this world. 
And it's because of him that you exist. And he's not far from any of us. And I am so thankful to be standing in front of a room full of people who have sought him, sought after him, and found him. And that is a great joy in my life. And it is a great joy in every one of our lives that we have found the living God, the one who created it all. We're not idolaters. We don't have our focus in a million places. We're not easily distracted. But we stand on a rock that's immovable. And his name is Jesus. Francis Chan says, isn't it a comfort to worship a God that we cannot exaggerate? No matter what, I, what kind of, you're saying, Pastor, you're just using a lot of big words today. You're just saying a bunch of stuff. I'm not exaggerating. Not one thing have I said could exaggerate the character of our God. Not one thing have I said that's too much. It's too little. The English language and all other languages in the world combined cannot just adequately describe the goodness of your God. No matter what we may face, we're going to endure it because of Jesus, because we keep our eyes on him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Apostle Paul says, Yes, we're fully confident and would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we'd be at home with the Lord. He's saying, man, it's better to go. But then he says, so whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. He said, I'd, I'm in a strength between the two in another place. I'm like between a rock and a hard place. I mean, for, for me, I, I'd rather go to be with Jesus, but I know it's better for you if I stay here and finish my ministry, so I'm going to stay. And that's, that's got to be our heart. If we know Jesus, we know it's going to be better on the other side. That's why the Bible says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Bible ends with, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Because we want to be with you. But nevertheless, our job is to please him. So we must endure this valley. We must endure this light affliction that's called earthly life. And we must overcome down here so that we have crowns to cast at his feet when we get there. So that we can please him. So yes, we fight for life down here. But you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to die. It's a promotion for the believer. It's a promotion. It's the end to this suffering. And this, these things that we'll never have to face again. Praise God. It's not the worst. And that's why he said all our lifetimes we do suffer for, from the fear of dying. But Jesus can take that away from you. You don't have to be afraid to die anymore. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you're talking about fullness of joy. What does God require of us? Deuteronomy 10, 12 kind of sums up our calling as humans. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. And you live in a way that pleases him and you love him and you serve him with all your heart and soul. Why are you here? To fear God, to honor him, to obey him. 
and to love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. What is your reason for existence? It is in him. All the promises of God are in him. It's all in him. Your reasons, your purpose. Jesus said, I am. To, I am. To all that, I am. How do you sum up this passage? I was thinking about that. That you fear the Lord, you please Him, you love Him, you serve Him. How do you sum it up? It could be said to worship Him. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.